Agent Power Huddle is a daily jumpstart. Hey, did I get your attention? We're doing something special for the next month. We're going to focus on now business. Like how do you generate income today, right now? My name is Jesse Zagorski. You probably know me as one of the regular hosts here, producer of the Agent Power Huddle. I'm also a broker associate with eXp. And what I keep hearing over and over again is agents that truly need to shift their business. The market shifted, they need to shift and they got to close the deals today. And so whether you're a brand new agent this series is for you. Experienced agent, this series is for you. It doesn't matter. Agent on a team, team leader, we're going to give you strategies and techniques to figure out how to scale and grow your business to close deals today. Not in the future, not tomorrow, today. This is what we're focusing on all month, the techniques, the strategies you need. So welcome to the Agent Power Huddle. Welcome. Good morning, everyone. We <clears throat> today are going to cover about cover uh, creating loyalty with buyers. My name's Ed Lane. I am with EXP Realty out of Seattle. Um, broker associate was a designated broker for 20 years. And I know a little bit about this topic. So we're going to dive in and uh, we'll open up to questions should they arise. But let's let's talk about buyers. So can you imagine a world where buyers were 100% loyal to you? Right? You guys have all heard the saying, uh, buyers are liars, right? But if they were loyal, you'd never have to hear someone say, we bought a house or we didn't refer you. We referred somebody else, right? Or we made an offer or we walked up on a new build and submitted through the listing agent so we could save 3% or, you know, all, all these sort of daggers in your heart type comments that usually the consumer doesn't realize how much it hurts you. They're just trying to inform you that their life is progressing. It just happened to progress without you, right? Doesn't really feel very good. Is creating a 100% loyalty a fantasy? It's not, right? You can actually create loyalty in buyers. In fact, when I was thinking about this, this conversation this morning, uh, I was working on it and I got a text message from a buyer that I worked with 15 years ago saying, hey, we haven't spoken in a while, which is, by the way, shame on me, right? But we we're thinking about uh, downsizing. Would you show us this property? So I've created loyalty in that individual, Not obviously not by calling them every month, uh, but they're in my drip sequences. They're invited to my client appreciation events. All the things that I do sort of automated wise, made them stay connected to me, which is great, right? So you're not going to get it to where you're 100% successful. But if you follow these steps that we're going to kind of talk about today, you absolutely can increase buyer loyalty and put yourself in a better position to capture those referrals when they come along, right? So when you're thinking about this, I want you to think about it as an opportunity to shine, right? And the cool thing is we all have that in us. Sometimes you have to be deliberate about it, but a big part of shining, right, is demonstrating skill. And that's not a problem for any of you. So um, you want to be shining before, during, and after the transaction. And it's, it's that evolution that is what creates this loyalty, right? Because if you do a good enough job for your clients, they're gonna feel like they are doing a disservice to their friends and family by not introducing you, 
right? That's kind of the ultimate goal. And that's what will ultimately create that sort of loyalty. So let's talk about how do you drive that loyalty uh, before the transaction, right? Well, I think you just want to follow the four Ds, right? Demonstrate character and competence, demonstrate value, differentiate yourself from your competition, and differentiate your offering, right? So character and competence, that's just innate in you. And the, one of the key factors, even if you're brand new in the industry, one of the key factors is you never have to guess. You know, don't guess. Just when someone asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, say, that's a great question. Let me find out. And do it and get back to them as soon as you're able, right? Hopefully you have some sort of mentor or team leader or whatever if you're new. But if you're not new, you're still going to run into questions you may not know the answer to. One of the things I say to lots of people is, you know, I love real estate. And part of the reason I love it is I learn something new every day. And if you asked anybody on my team, they'd tell you he he knows everything. But the fact of the matter is I don't. And it's kind of cool. I like the fact that I get to learn something new every day, right? But the key piece is I never tell somebody when they ask me a question, an answer that I think might be right. If I'm not certain, I just say, you know what? That is a great question. Let me find out and get back to you. Pretty easy. So don't feel like if you're new that you can't demonstrate character and competence. You absolutely can, right? Now, how do you differentiate yourself from your competition? Well, sadly, that that bar is kind of low, right? Like if you just answer your phone, you're differentiating yourself from your competition in many cases, in many ways, right? So if if that's all you can do, make sure you do that. Right. But be a, a man or a woman of your word and do what you say you're going to do and follow through and then differentiate your offering. I mean, that's up to you. You know, that's part of your brand. I can tell you in, on my team, we differentiate our offering uh, for buyers and for sellers by presenting a value proposition that our competition can't compete with or at least isn't creative enough to compete with. Right. So I'll just share them so you can hear what I mean. But for buyers, it's Hey, what if I could give you priority access to properties before they hit the MLS or the internet? Do you see how that would help you find a good deal? Pretty easy, right? And you can also hear how if I asked someone that question, if they were to say no, they'd sound kind of foolish, right? How could you not find a good deal using that sort of, we call it our VIP buyer program. And for sellers, it's just, I have a sell for free program. When can I come over and see your house? And they're like, hell yeah. How about today, right? So think about how you want to differentiate yourself. It doesn't matter if you're the, the puppy realtor and that's how you're going to differentiate yourself, right? But you need to be memorable, right? Then once you've done all those things in that first meeting, you know, we have a, a sit down with the buyers at the beginning and then we sign them to a buyer agency agreement, right? We've built rapport. We've understood their criteria. We call it their requirements and nice to haves. And then they sign a buyer agency agreement. Pretty simple, right? The scary thing is 98% of realtors don't use buyer agency agreements. And that's a huge mistake. You know, our MLS and the rules in Washington have changed so that sellers can now pay us zero. You know, it used to be you had to offer a commission to get your home onto the MLS. And now you don't have to. 
So if you don't use a buyer agency agreement, you are slave to whatever is being offered. And I don't think that's a great idea. And I see Jess, you are the puppy realtor. I love that. All right. So during, or I mean, before you get into escrow though, make looking at houses fun, right? I don't know if you can tell, but I have a bit of a sense of humor and, and the humor is the greatest way to get someone to like you, right? Is to make them laugh. We also play a game called King of the Hill. The power of this game is that uh, if, if you've shown enough houses to somebody, one thing you'll notice is they start to blend together, right? You'll literally hear a buyer say, you know, if you go, well, remember the one on Swanson Street? And they'll go, was that the one with the green door? I can't, I'm not, you know, like they just can't put their finger on it. The, the problem with that is when they're thinking of homes they want to buy, they will tend to only think of the things that they liked about houses. And that ends up causing you to have to show more houses and show multiple homes for a second time and all of this time wasting that can happen. And, and it's important, right? Because your clients should have clarity before they write an offer. But if you play king of the hill, it eliminates all of that. And here's how it works. At the end of the day of showing, I simply go, hey, now we're going to play a game called king of the hill. And here's how it works. If no new homes came on the market after today, which home would you buy out of the ones we saw today? And it forces their them and their brain to think about, okay, well, out of the six homes we saw, I would buy the, the fourth one or whatever it was, right? And that allows their brain to let go of the other five houses so they don't have to come back to them, right? So then I just make a note on that piece of paper that it's the king of the hill that day. Then it becomes a competition in their mind between kings of the hill, not every house they've looked at, if that makes sense, right? Laugh with them when you're walking around, continually demonstrate character and competence. Teach them about homes along the way. If you have any knowledge or experience with construction, or if you've been doing this for a long time, you can't help but learn things about houses, right? I used to be a general contractor. I, I know a lot about houses. So when I walk through one, I can point out to them that, you know, hey, this, this home was updated, but it was updated by the homeowner. This is not professional work or this is professional work or whatever, right? Get them to feel like, man, you know, Anita is a resource to me or Mike is a resource to me. And I can ask them questions because I know that they know more about houses than I do, right? So teach them along the way. Leave them smarter than they were when they met you about real estate, right? The cool thing about doing that is that they will they will sort of uh, project value on you that they then want to share with their friends and family. And that's how you generate referrals, right? So you take a great job of them or with them and then... Uh, demonstrate character and competence, right? Now, when you find the one, this is how you drive loyalty during the transaction, right? Because you want to have a process for writing offers. Step one for me is always do a CMA. I always tell people, you know, the list price and the market value are rarely the same number. They just aren't. Usually the seller is either pricing it low because they're trying to generate you know, interest or pricing it high because 
someone told him, well, if if you want to get X, you need to start above X so that you can negotiate down. I mean, there's a lot of really naive and moronic strategies that get implemented. And at the end of the day, what ends up happening is the list price and the market value are not the same. So I do a CMA so that we can then have a discussion about, okay, what's it worth? And therefore, what's it worth to us, right? Then I call the listing broker. Before we write the offer, I'm calling the listing broker because I need to know if there are other offers, right? So I follow the script. I don't know if you guys can tell, but I have a process for everything because I know the more I follow a process and a system, the more ability I have to predict the outcome, right? It's like um, some of you have heard me use the chocolate chip cookie analogy, right? If you make chocolate chip cookies, you make them the same way every time. Well, I do the same thing with writing offers. I do the same thing with doing CMAs, with giving listing presentations, with fill in the blank. I do it for everything. So with this, I'm going to call the listing broker. I'm going to build rapport, right? I'm going to get them to like me because there may come a time where the seller says, gosh, I can't decide. What do you think? And I want him to say, let's take Ed's client because I know Ed's going to close and close on time. Find out from the listing broker if there are terms besides price that are important to the seller. That can be things like, um, you know, how much time do you need to respond? Or what about possession date? Or fill in the blank, right? And I literally say besides price because they know that price is number one. And I want them to know that I know that too, right? Find out if there are other offers. And if there are, how high? Where do we need to be to win? We have a script that we follow for getting them to tell us where those others offer other offers are. And you know, some some agents you gotta ask eight different ways before they finally tell you. But I I do it well enough that sometimes I even get the offer. They'll email me the offer. How crazy is that, right? Like I'm not suggesting you do that. I certainly don't do that. But if you're persuasive enough, you can sometimes get people to do that. Then you have your offer strategy with your clients, right? That's when you sit down and go, okay, here's what we know about the competition. Here's what we know about the market value. All of these things add up to some sort of offer that we're going to put together, right? That's the best way to make them feel like you are a professional, right? So then we craft the offer. And then I call the listing broker again. And one thing I should say is when we have the offer strategy session, I will say, absolutely, Lenora, I will put that together and email it to uh, Autumn and Lisa, and then they can share it out to the people that are on the call. Um, one of the things that I say with my clients is, you know, especially with multiple offers, and I know that's a bit of a thing of the past, but it may come back right? We still only have two months of inventory. And in, in my county, we're still under two months of inventory. So what I say is, if uh, let's say we talk about it and we decide we're going to offer 800,000, right? Then I'll say, all right, I got it, 800,000. Now, let me ask you a question. If someone were to come in and offer 825, are you going to be mad at me or mad at the market? And a lot of times they'll go, well, I don't want to lose an $800,000 house over 25 grand. 
let's go to 825, right? And then I'll I'll do it again, but I'll do the smaller increment. Okay, 825, got it. What if someone comes in at 835? Are you going to be mad? And and what'll happen is they will inch up, and I'll ask that question seven times if 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 I need to, because at some point, usually it's after three or four, they're going to go, come on, man, you're just going to keep asking me that and squeezing more money out of me. And I say this in absolute sincerity. I go, no, no, no. Here's the, the thing, though. I'm trying to help you identify an intangible. And that intangible is how high would you go and be happy if you won? But if somebody beat you by a thousand bucks, you'd feel like they can have it. They overpaid. So don't feel like I'm squeezing you. That's not it at all. I just want to help you identify that number where you're happy, right? And so that leaves them with endorphins flowing because happiness triggers that, right? And they go, okay, yeah. So then this is my my best and final right here, 840 or whatever it is, right? So now I've got a, an escalator clause or whatever method we've designed, but we've got a number that they're comfortable with. And if we lose, they're not going to be mad at me or the market, which is perfect, right? Again, demonstrating character and competence because that triggers loyalty. All right. So by the way, we call a listing broker a second time. Hey, I've got that offer. We're It's written. We're getting ready to submit. I just want to see if you have any new offers that came in since our last conversation, right? That That's an easy call. We're just trying to make sure that while we were writing it, and we spent all that time and energy squeezing information out of the listing broker in the first call that a new offer didn't come in and swoop all of us, right? So we've talked about how having a process gives you a more predictable outcome. That helps you win more often, which genuinely and truly creates a win-win situation for you and your clients, right? Now, during the transaction, what do buyers want once they're in escrow? They really just want, you know, no surprises, right? So I've found the best way to do that is to have a detailed conversation with them, right? Because I have to be somewhat of a, you know, fortune teller. I have to see into the future and let them know that anything that comes our way, we're going to be able to handle, right? Not every transaction is perfectly smooth. So what have I done there? I've inoculated them to don't be surprised if we get a curveball, right? But I've also reinforced the fact that I can hammer curveballs out of the park, right? So, hey, Mr. Buyer and Mrs. Seller or Mr. and Mrs. Buyer, I just want to, you know, let you know that we you're in good hands and that not every transaction goes without any sort of issue or opportunity to perform, right? So just know that I've handled, I've dealt with everything. And if you're newer in the business, just say, hey, my team has dealt with everything. Nothing that comes along is going to surprise us and we're going to be ready to pivot and handle it. So just be rest assured, right? What that does for somebody is when and if something comes along, they don't have a heart attack. They just go, oh, this is what Ed was talking about. The appraisal came in low or whatever, right? And if it goes smoothly, then they're even more appreciative. Like you prepared me 
and then nothing went wrong. You you did such a great job, right? They're going to attribute the smoothness to you. It's kind of a cool phenomenon, right? That gives them peace of mind. We also do what I call our prior to close orientation meeting. So again, you know, have a system for this sort of thing. Because think about the the experience after a deal goes in escrow, right? There's a frenzy of activity looking at houses. And then there's some urgent activity because they got to get the earnest money deposited and they got to do the inspection, right? But once those two things are done, it's all quiet for the buyer, right? They can have three or four weeks where no one's really talking to them because the lender's doing his thing, escrow's doing their thing, and no one's really bothering the buyer until the docs get to escrow and they call them, right? So it's kind of this quiet period. And so once I recognized that, I thought, you know what? It would be a worthwhile investment of time to coach them on what all the other people are going to be doing while you're not doing really anything, right? So so we created this buyer closing orientation meeting so we can let them know what's happening, what's going to happen, and what to expect on their side. And this is what it looks like. So if you have a phone nearby, shoot a picture. But as you can see, there's a column for the lender. There's a column for escrow, a column for the broker, and a column for the buyer. And then time frames down the middle. And on the version that we hand out, this middle column is uh, highlighted in yellow. So that draws their attention, right? But look at the, uh, the buyer tasks. They might get asked for updated pay stubs and W-2s and that sort of thing, right? And so I want to use this conversation as an opportunity to coach them and say, hey, I'm just making you aware that you don't have a bunch of responsibilities. But if your lender reaches out to you, you need to act with haste, right? You need to respond quickly and get them what they need quickly. Because the last thing we want, you and I want, is for them to blame us for delaying closing. So I sprinkle a little fear. But I sit side by side with them when I say is for us to be late with getting that pay stub in or that W-2 or whatever it is. Does that make sense? Right. So so all I've done, they don't have to lift a finger, but now they're on high alert. If they get an email or a call that says, hey, Joe and Susie, we we have stale bank statements. We need your current bank statements or whatever it is. Right. So I walk them through. Your lender's going to have a final underwrite. They may ask you for some documents. This is where I give them the act quickly speech. Once you've gotten final approval, then they're going to start preparing loan documents. And you just want to be as available as you can. So once again, I'm inoculating them to don't be a jerk and insist on assigning appointment time, right? That's sometimes where their heads are at. I'm a busy guy or I'm a busy gal. What I want to do is sort of get them to be more open-minded about, hey, you know, escrow does a number of closings. So when they call, I'm just encouraging you to be as flexible as possible because I don't know if when they call, they only have one time slot available at that point. They might have several in which you can pick and choose, but they might also only have one and you need to say yes to whatever it is because once again, we don't want to be blamed 
for a delay, right? And if if they really anticipate that that's going to be an issue, wouldn't you rather find that out on day seven of escrow instead of day 27, right? So if they tell me in that that meeting, well, I hear what you're saying, Ed, but I might be traveling. I'm We're going to Europe on January 1st, whatever, right? It'll flush out that that issue right then and there with three weeks or more before closing so we can address it, right? We can start talking about mobile notaries. We can start talking about uh, signing in, in Europe. I, I had a closing where we had this conversation and they said, oh, you're going to hate me. <laughs> I go, why? And he goes, my wife and I are going to be in Frankfurt, Germany. And then when we fly back, she's going to Miami and I'm coming back to Seattle. So how are you going to sign us? So you know what I did? I arranged a mobile notary to meet them at Miami International Airport because they both came back into the U.S. in Miami. He just then caught a connecting flight onto Seattle and she stayed there. So that was the one place, unless I was going to sign them in Frankfurt before they got on the plane, which is harder, by the way, if you've never done it, you have to go to a consulate. So it's 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 less convenient to sign in a foreign country, but it's not impossible. So anyway, my point is, wouldn't it be better to find out about this with three weeks to go or more than, oh, crap, docs are at escrow and they're in Frankfurt, right? So we have that conversation. We we decide what we're going to have to do. This is also where I'll be able to tell them, hey, when the closing date comes, the contract says you're entitled to get keys at 9 p.m. I'm going to try and get them earlier for you because it's common practice in our market, probably like yours, where uh, you can usually get them when the recording numbers are available, right? Is that true in your market, Anita? Yeah. So I I can't promise it, right? Because it's not our decision, but I can let them know that I'm going to try. And that just makes me look better when I'm successful anyway, right? So we we kind of walk through that. So this, this uh time frame that's on the screen right now is just the beginning of that prior to close orientation meeting. And then we give them a folder that's full of a bunch of resources, the utility and moving guide. So it has all the contact information for all the utility companies, an article on moving with pets and how to calm down your dog or cat, a cyber fraud, right? Wire fraud article to warn them because we want to let them know, hey, by the way, if if you will never get an email from escrow saying, hey, our wiring instructions changed, right? That's usually how they do it. And they spoof the email address of the title company. And the other thing I tell people is, you know how like when you're looking at your emails and you see a, a phishing email and your gut kind of goes off, like the little alarm in your head goes, wait a minute, I probably shouldn't click on that. Trust your gut in this circumstance too. And all that means is if your gut's telling you this doesn't seem quite right, make an extra phone call. Just call escrow or call me, right? Because escrow is going to be able to say, yeah, no, we didn't send that email. Ignore it, delete it, whatever, right? So trust your gut, make an extra phone call is a lot less terrifying than this is a multi-billion dollar problem, right? 
We have an FAQ doc in there has all a lot of what I've been saying is in that FAQ doc. Like when might I get keys? When do I have to have my money to escrow? You know, things like that. And then the last and the most important part, how to write a testimonial. Because think about it, the, the happiest people are is when they've cleared inspection, right? Because when they, when they get their offer accepted, they're definitely happy. But they also know that there's some more negotiation that has to happen and a bit of you know anxiety about getting earnest money delivered and negotiating the inspection, et cetera. Once the inspection signed off, their brain literally can pivot to, oh my God, we're buying this house. Oh my God, we're closing in three weeks. Oh my God, we're moving in three weeks, right? Now it's true excitement and they see a clear path to the destination. And that's a great time for them to talk about how great you were during this process, right? They thought of everything. They did the CMAs. They made sure we didn't overpay for the house. It was awesome. So don't be shy. I've got a different agent power huddle video where I talked about how there's multiple times you can get the testimonial through the process. This is of all of them, the best time. All right. From here, you're just the quarterback, right? You're making sure everybody's doing their job and doing it on time so that the deal closes. And that's just touching base with the lender, touching base with the escrow, making those extra phone calls to make sure that everything's moving along smoothly. Because a lot of times when something goes sideways, yours isn't the first number they call. So you just want to have a habit of touching base and giving your client updates. Hey, I just want to let you know the appraisal came back. The thing we look for when, when the appraisal comes back is did it come in at the purchase price or higher? And were there any work orders? And then the other thing I say about the appraisal is, by the way, there's a, like, it's a crazy common statistic that the appraisal comes in at the purchase price, right? And that kind of makes consumers feel like it's a scam. Like I just paid $800 to have the guy tell me that it's worth what I'm paying. And so sometimes you got to have a dialogue for them for that. And my dialogue is, hey, I, I understand that can feel kind of clunky, but here's the thing. The appraiser has the purchase and sale. So they know what you paid. And the definition of market value is what a buyer is willing to pay oh. and a seller is willing to accept, right? So this, the appraiser has no incentive to bring it in higher than what the purchase and sale price says, right? Purchase and sale agreement says. The good news is it's probably worth more than that, right? Because if if the appraiser said it came in at 840, to use my earlier number, he probably could have brought it in at 850 or higher, but he just didn't need to do that, right? So, uh, so he didn't. So the good news is you probably have some extra equity. Lenora, you have a question. Yes, this is my question. Uh, so right now, a lot of the sellers uh, accept uh, uh, requests of two by um, uh, the of that buy down. I'm sorry, um, and uh, so if uh, but it's a, a seller concession. So the listing price is higher. So what if uh, um, that amount is uh, 
a little bit uh, a borderline with the real value of the house. What does it what, what does it happen? I mean, how yeah. can we tell the, the the seller and the client? I know it's a little bit off topic, but how can we express to the seller and and the client that you know it could. It doesn't have to be a buy down and they can do a seller concession. Uh, they can reduce the price. Yeah, great question. And and smart of you to anticipate it and even smarter of you to, to have a strategy to sort of address it before it happens, right? Just in case. So the cool thing is the, the appraiser is going to get a purchase and sale that says, let's stay with my example of uh, we offered 840, right? but we have $10,000 in concessions or buy down. Well, the purchase price is still 840. The appraiser sees the $10,000, but their target and what they're trying to appraise it for is 840, not 830. So they have an idea of how they're gonna get there. Now the, the issue becomes, what if they're not able to, right? Well, if they're not able to, the, the issue is the same as uh, any low appraisal, right? Form 22 AD in RMLS is protection against low appraisal. And the financing contingency has a uh, clause that specifically states if the appraisal comes in low, the buyer just has to give the seller notification of it. And then the seller has four options once they've been notified. And their options are agree to the reduction, uh, refuse to agree to the reduction, order a new appraisal, or compromise and split the 10 grand in our example, right? So um, usually that's gonna end up in a conversation, Lenora, so that you can decide, okay, are we gonna terminate this deal? I mean, most sellers don't wanna lose the deal. They're just gonna say, you can either get rid of the 10 grand buy down or you know, reduce the price. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, it does. Uh, but and and this clause is all in the RPA, correct? Uh, so I'm in Washington State. Where are you? California. Okay. Uh, mm. I imagine it is because it. I, it was, I I need to review it. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not, let me know. I can show you the language that's in ours. I mean, you obviously run it by your designated broker, or if you are one. Um. But, no, I'm not. So. Yeah, so that's, you know, it's it's really just uh, the low appraisal language has been around for a long time. The only thing that's new is a preemptive clause that says, hey, seller, if there's a low appraisal, I agree to cover the first 10 grand of that low appraisal amount. And the funny thing is, you know, we close hundreds of transactions a year. I can count on one hand how many low appraisals we've had in the last five years. It really doesn't happen that often, even when homes are going for 200 grand over asking. Because think about it, the definition I said earlier of market value is what a buyer's willing to pay and a seller's willing to accept. Well, 200 grand over is the market value. Now the appraiser just has to justify it, right? All right. I'm going to press on because I'm running long and I apologize for that. But the last part is after the closing, right? And this is where the real fun begins because you're just going to work hard to be top of mind. Here's another screen that you can shoot a picture of if you don't already have a method that you're following. 
this, these are the things that we do before, during, and after to make sure that we're generating loyalty in our customers, right? Everything from a barbecue clause, which we can share that with you, a closing gift, uh, then you actually have the barbecue after closing. Then we add them to our client appreciation program. That's what CAP stands for. Then we add them to client giant, which is a quarterly gift. We update their contact info in the CRM, and then we add them to the client appreciation event list. And then I train them. Most people don't know how to refer. So I, I get in touch with them. I say, hey, you know, if you come across anybody that blah, 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 and I teach them how to refer, and we can cover that in another training. So upgrade them from a B to an A just means a B in my database is somebody that would refer if shown how, and an A is somebody who has referred. So I'm just working to get a referral, and that's how it works, right? Make them feel like part of your family because they are, right? And that's it. We ran a few minutes long, and I apologize, but hopefully it was worthwhile. Are there any questions? No, thank you so much. It was very helpful. Yeah, awesome. that was great. That was great. I'm glad you guys found it valuable. My hope and prayer is that you can drive loyalty in 2023 with your clients. And uh, we'll have to compare notes, all right? And in the, in the meantime, have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. You as well. I have a question, though. This is my first time on this. Is this recorded that we can go back and watch your replay? Because I kind of got on late. Yes, it is recorded. Uh, if you just go to agentpowerhuddle.com, okay. you can find all the previous ones there. And uh, there, it's a variety of people. I do Thursdays. And I will be here next Thursday. I know it's the Thursday uh, before New Year's, but um, next Thursday, we're going to cover how to get more offers accepted in 2023. So it could be a good one. So whether you can attend it or not, or just watch the recording, it, it should be a good one. Awesome. Awesome. Thank All right. You so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Very nice to Merry meet Christmas. you. Merry Christmas. If you'd like more information or to get connected to the Agent Power Huddle, join our free Facebook group. This call was designed for the agents in our EXP organization, but open to any agent from any brokerage. If you're a guest and you're interested in learning more about EXP or our specific resources within the Agent Collective, reach out to the person who invited you to this call to get more info. Produced by the Agent Collective Media Network.